Well, good morning. We're going to be continuing on in Ephesians chapter 1. If you would like to turn there in your Bibles or get there on your mobile devices or we'll have everything on the screen too. Uh, so last week I shared a story about being at the lake. Um, some embarrassing things happened. The lake apparently was not a very good experience for me because I have another story real quick about the lake where um, thankfully this one was not as embarrassing. Uh, all my clothing stayed on this time. Uh, but anyways, I was walking out on the dock one day, and I don't know what I was going to do, but they always made us wear life vests when I was younger. And so this time as I'm walking out to the dock, I didn't have a life vest on because I thought I'm just going out. I'm going to grab something from the boat, and I'm going back in. And all my cousins and my uncles and my aunts, they were playing in the water. And so as I'm walking back, it's about a 20-foot long dock to get from land to the actual dock. And as I'm walking back, I start looking at what... What all of my relatives are doing, taking my eyes off of where I'm walking, and I start drifting towards the direction that I'm looking, and next thing I know, I go to step, and there is nothing solid underneath me, and I fall into the water. And I start panicking. I don't even know if I can swim at this time. I'm still not a really good swimmer, but at that time, I don't know that I can remember being able to swim. I could, like, barely stay above like breathing area, whatever the right term would be. So anyways, I'm struggling. I'm trying to stay above water. And my uncle, who usually would drown me, decided to, you know, not drown me this time because it's not in jest. It's like serious. And so he swims over, grabs me, and drags me to shore. He saved my life. And then he was ready to throw me back in the water a couple days later. But we use that term a lot. Like there, I would say, my uncle saved my life. We like to throw around the word saved. I saved the last piece of cake for you because I love you. I saved the closer parking spot for somebody else so that they can have the close parking spot. I saved you from financial debt by giving you good advice. We use that word saved a whole lot. And though it may be true that my uncle did save my life that day, did he really ultimately save my life? Because here's the thing. I heard this said the other day. It said doctors even, who we give so much credit to, and I appreciate the medical field, but we say they saved us from that disease. But really, in the end, doctors are just trying to stall the inevitable. They're not truly saving us. They're maybe giving us more time. But true salvation has not come. Nobody can save us, ultimately, from death, from our physical death. Because every single person, eventually, your clock runs out. But there's a salvation that is so much deeper there is a salvation that truly does last forever. And so what if whenever we use the word saved, we're not talking about the physical, but the eternal and the spiritual. And, and the, the thing that truly matters most. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Because this is why Jesus came. This is why he lived the perfect life. Why he gave his, that, that perfect life to die the death that we were supposed to die. And then why he raised again. 
Because in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek, but also to save the lost. And so we're going to be in Ephesians again this morning, starting in verse 11 of chapter 1. If you'll stand as we read our passage and we open up in a word of prayer. Paul's saying, In him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. If you'll join me in prayer. Father God, we just thank you that we're able to come together. And God, as there's so much going on in the world, God, we can gather openly and profess your name and sing praises to you and lift up our requests to you and you hear them. And God, now we can read your word and then expound on it and see what you have to say to us. And so God, I just pray that as we're in this time with so much going on, may we focus our minds and our hearts on you. And God, I ask that you speak to us in this time and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Thank you. So I would say that for a majority of you in this room, this message is really not going to be anything new. You're going to know what I'm saying because by the title, Jesus saved you. But what I want to try and do through this time is I want to try and impress on you who God is and truly the importance of what Jesus did. Because especially for people who have been Christians for long term, like maybe you gave your life as a little kid and now you're more seniored and you've, you've been living for Jesus. It, it's really easy to start working in our mind that it's a routine. That I come to church on Sundays. It's what I do. That we do the things that we do just out of habit and we, we lose focus on what it truly means. Of what Jesus truly did for us. And, and maybe it's possibly because we view sin wrong. Because we've learned to downplay the effect and really downplay what sin is. Because Romans 6.23 tells us, For all have sinned. And no, that's Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. And honestly, it's easy to become looking at that kind of like the way we view McDonald's cheeseburgers. Or the way we view energy drinks. Or the way we view any really unhealthy activity. I know this really isn't that good for me. And I know that it'll probably, you know, cut a year off of my life. But it's okay. I'm enjoying it now. We view sin that way. By these statements that I've heard myself say and I've heard other people say as well. Things like, really, what's the big deal? It's just a little white lie. What's the big deal? It makes them feel better if I don't tell them the truth. The truth would actually hurt their feelings. So I can just, I can lie, right? Or we say, is it really hurting anyone? And nobody even knows that I'm doing it. So why is, why is it really bad? It's not affecting anyone except myself. And honestly, I don't even feel the results of it. Or nobody would know. 
And so it's okay. Or maybe this is a big one, especially in today's society. You should test drive the car before you buy it. But we use that in marriage. Well, you should really become and make sure that you're compatible before you get married. And so even though the Bible says, let the marriage bed remain undefiled, God doesn't know what he's talking about. You should test drive, if you know what I mean, the car before you buy it and live together. Make sure everything's going to work out first because you don't want to ruin your marriage. What about this one? Everybody else is doing it. Man, that is a common one, especially among littler kids. Why'd you do that? Well, because everybody else is doing it. Or a big one also is you're already forgiven. God forgave me already. He already forgave me for what I'm about to do, so I might as well go ahead and do it so that I can receive the forgiveness of God. That's kind of how we view sin. As if it's that cheeseburger that is not really healthy for us, and it's really actually probably going to be detrimental, but it's not really that big of a deal. Might as well go out enjoying life instead of living some kind of restrictive spiritual diet. And therefore, we claim that we believe in hell, and we know that it's the result of sin, but man, it's not here, it's not now, so we downplay it. And therefore, we downplay the price that Jesus paid when he gave his life on the cross. Because Jesus came to save you from hell. Every single person in this room, 100% is destined for hell. Every single person here, I don't care how good you think you have been, are, or plan on being, on your own merit, you deserve hell. Completely. I deserve to go to hell completely. The Bible tells us over and over, verse, um, sorry, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Not just dying as in life comes to an end, but in eternal dying in which you spend eternity in hell. Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person is deserving of death. Because every single person has sinned. Ephesians 2 tells us we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. We were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We carried out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were on a one-way ticket to hell. James 2.10, if you think, well, I haven't broke the big ones. James 2.10 tells us, for whoever keeps the whole law, 99.9999% of the law, but you break one of these points, you become guilty of it all. So even the person who thinks I have lived a relatively good life, but yet there's that, yeah, I might, I might struggle with a little bit of lust. I might have a little lie here and there. I might have stolen one minor thing. You are still guilty of breaking the entire law because every single person is destined for hell. Every single human being has a one-way ticket to hell, and there is absolutely not a single thing that we can do on our own to reverse that course. 
You can try as hard as you want. You can give as much as you have. You can go above and beyond everybody else in the world, and yet you're still going to fall short. And I think we have to understand what hell is. It is that terrible place of torment where Jesus says in Matthew 13, 42, throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus says in Hades, this is where he's talking to the, about the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man was thrown in Hades. And he says, in Hades, a place of torment, the rich man lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And Hades, that's not even eternal hell. That's like right now where people who do not have Jesus go until they await the eternal judgment throw, throne. But still, you cannot come out of Hades. There's no penance that I can pay that will bring relatives out of Hades and put them beside Jesus. Because Jesus says in that same story that there's a great chasm between the two of them and there's no way for it to be crossed. And so every single one of us is destined for that. That is on my own merit, on my own effort, on my own trying. That is directly where I am headed. But God, those two words that I absolutely love hearing in the Bible, because what those words imply is that there is a new change of course. And it's not but Andy decided or Andy tried, it is but God. Andy was destined for hell, but God came and gave him life. Romans 1.16, but God saved us from the pit of hell. And therefore, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jews and then to the Greeks. Because God so loved the world, but God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is the depth that God went to. That again, I'm going to emphasize this point. Nothing could be done on our part. But God gave Jesus so that we are not destined for hell, but that we can have eternal life. That we can be in relationship with God. That we can have a hope beyond this world. That this American dream is not as good as it gets for the believer. But that there is an eternal life waiting for us. You see, God tells us in Ephesians 2, 9, 2 8 through 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not a work of your own doing. There is nothing you can do so that no one can boast. It is the gift of God. We're not saved by anything. We are only... Sorry, we are not saved by anything we can do. That's important. We are saved by what Jesus has done, by the gift that he gave. Our re salvation relies solely on the work of Jesus because Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. But we got to continue on. The gift of God is eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8, in the second half of that, he said, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. 
You cannot work for a gift. You cannot pay a gift back. The moment you try doing that is the moment it's no longer a gift. It's a wage. And we've already seen what our wages are. Death. But God tells us in his word, Galatians, or Romans 4, 4 through 5, to the one who works, his wages are, counted, are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Galatians 2, 16. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, you will not be justified. The harder you try, the more you condemn yourself. The only way that you can be saved, the only way that you are saved is through the work of Jesus. Titus 3, 5 tells us that he saved us. Not by works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. You see, we are saved because of what Jesus did. Because you see, the Galatians, they were thinking, well, I should work harder. Like, this is the folly of the writing of Galatians. The the folly that Paul was addressing. That they thought, well, Jesus saved me, but I have to be circumcised on top of that. Like Jesus' salvation covered maybe 50% of it, maybe 75% of it, but not all of it. And so they thought, I have to do this extra work. And so Paul straight up writes to them, and he says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing of the faith? Are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? And that's the problem that I see with, again, these long-term Christians. I'm one of them. Where I gave my life to Jesus at a young age. We start to think, God saved me, I'll perfect myself. I was saved then, but I'm just, now I'm just adding icing to the cake right now with my good works. And so I'm just going to have a better spot than all you other sinners. It is faulty thinking. It started with Jesus. It continues with Jesus. And it will always be Jesus and Jesus alone that we find our salvation, our hope, and our perfection in. Never in our own working. This is the constant theme through Scripture. Flip over if you have your Bibles. To, we're in Ephesians, so maybe you're already there. But starting in verse 3, I want you to notice every time that it says in these 10 verses where our hope, our identity, our salvation is found. Over and over, you're going to see this theme in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, being Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, that being Jesus. 
in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his Christ's blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as the plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in earth. In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Christ, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In those 10 verses, over and over, Paul is saying, it's in Jesus, it's in Jesus, it is only in Jesus. Notice, it says nowhere in there what we have done. If you want to find out what we did, flip over to chapter 2, and you will see you were dead in your trespasses. You were following the course of this world. You were just living a life of giving over to the desires of the flesh and of the body. Same thing, body and mind. You were just following yourself to death. You were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. There's nothing that we do in our salvation. I'm going to throw this caveat in there. I'm going to say except for one thing, which still is not a result of what we've done. The only role that we have is we respond to it. That is the only thing. If I had a million dollars up here and I said, whoever wants a million dollars, come and get it. It is yours for the taking. Hopefully y'all would be rushing up here because there's a million dollars. But then as you go from here and you're like, man, I'm a millionaire. Yeah. And people are like, how'd you get your million dollars? Well, all I did is went up and received it. I didn't work for it. I didn't, I mean, you couldn't even take credit. You couldn't be walking around and be like, if y'all had the same work ethic as me, you'd be millionaires as well. Because you, you wouldn't be millionaires. You received it. We are called to receive salvation by faith. Ephesians 2 and Galatians 2 both say it is through our faith, placing our faith in Jesus. And Hebrews 11 tells us faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That we know Jesus gave his life, that we have the assurance that because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have connection with God. That is the only thing we are called to do. You don't get it by osmosis. You don't get it by attending church services enough and never placing your faith in Jesus. You have to respond. Jesus calls you to respond in faith, but it is totally a gift. He is saying it is available for all. You just receive it. But here's the thing. We're going to have these mindsets, these, these temptations that come into our head that are going to lead us to question. How far does God's grace go? Did I just fall out of it because I cussed out my kids? Nobody would do that here, I'm sure. Did, it, did I just fall out of it because I looked at that lustful image? Because I said that hurtful thing about my coworker? Because I had that thought in my head that I cannot believe it entered my head, but I entertained it? And then it led to a very deep, dark hole? 
Which one of those is the one that has me needing to go back and be like, God, okay, um, I really mean it this time. Please don't kick me out of heaven. And that's the joy of what Paul tells us. He says in Romans 5.20, he says, Now the law came to increase the trespass. I didn't know what lusting was until the law told me not to lust. And then I knew far too well what lusting was. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You cannot outsin God's grace. Jesus died to save you from your sins, past, present, and future. You are saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, he says you will be saved. Period. Not dot, 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 as long as you don't mess it up too bad. But he says you will be saved. You can't out God's grace. Paul says in our passage today, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you, here's that response, you believed in him, you were sealed. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you place your faith in Jesus, God places his seal permanently on your life in which God's not going to be like, all right, time to remove that seal. I'm going to take back that gift which I just gave you. It is permanent. He says it is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. That word guarantee is the down payment. So when you give your life over to Jesus, God places his Holy Spirit in your life as the down payment saying, hey, this is the beginning of so much more that is to come. But this is how you can know that you are saved. This is how you can know that you are mine because I'm placing my Holy Spirit in your life so that you can be assured That, yeah, whenever you sin, my Holy Spirit's going to convict you, but it's not going to guilt you. It's not going to condemn you. You're going to feel like, man, I know I shouldn't be looking. Man, I used to look at this image, and I'd have no problem at all. But now, since I gave my life to Jesus, it hurts. There's this struggle. There's this turmoil. That is the Holy Spirit convicting you to live a holy life. I used to do all this stuff, but now it's not even appealing to me. I still am drawn to it, but I hate it. It's disgusting. I don't want to do it. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you to live for Jesus. That is God sealing you for salvation. He will not take it back. And so if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are saved forever. He has given you that guarantee of the inheritance. You see, when you place your faith in Jesus, you are justified. In which the penalty for sin, death, is removed. And then the Holy Spirit at that moment comes into your life and through the working of the Holy Spirit, you're sanctified. Which means that those sins that you used to be drawn to, their power diminishes. Slowly, you're no longer under the power of sin. Sanctification removed from the power of sin. Until that's a guarantee of our inheritance, which is being glorified. Where we are removed from the presence of sin eternally. When we are in the presence of God. And so, find your identity. In that you are saved through the work of Jesus. 
and what that truly entails, that you were dead in the sins and trespasses. But he saved us, not by works of the flesh done in righteousness, but by the work of Jesus and our placing our faith in him. And then Paul says in verse 14, how we live based on this. He says, to the praise of his glory. When you realize that Jesus has saved you, when you have responded in faith, you live to the praise of his glory. You live for Jesus. When he saves you from eternal hell through his only son, you live your life for him. That's the response. You go and you live with joy and you go and you live for him. And so here's the thing. Salvation is available for all. I mean, looking out, I, I know a lot of you and I know you're living in that. Continue to find your identity in that. But maybe there's some who have not received that. I don't have a million dollars up here to give you. I'm not that generous, nor that rich. Let's not get fooled by that. I have something far more valuable, something that cannot be taken away. And it is not even something I have to give. It is something that God generously gave you through his son, eternal life with him. And you are missing out if you feel the tug of the Holy Spirit on your life and you do not respond. You are so missing out. Jesus says, do not store up your treasures on this earth where moth and rust and the stock market can crash, but instead store up your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust nor thieves can steal nor your joy can be taken away. So place your heart in the hands of Jesus. If he is calling you to respond in faith, if you have not given your life over to Jesus and received the salvation that he offers, today's the day. Now's the time. And if you have received it, you're called to go and share that with a world that does not have that hope. Regardless of where you are, God is calling for you to respond in some way. Don't miss out on what he's calling you to do. Father God, again, I just want to say thank you. God, it's through you and through what you have done in the work of Jesus on the cross. And God, I, I know so many people in here have placed their faith in you, and I am so grateful to be surrounded by a group of people who are living for you and who have, have that assurance. But God, there's still some who maybe haven't. And so God, I pray that if they're hearing my voice, they're hearing your word, and they're hearing you draw them to you, and let them not miss out on how good a relationship with you is and just placing their eternal salvation in your hands. And God, I just pray that whatever it is that you're working in the hearts of the people here, God, let us respond to that in whatever capacity it is. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray this.